0: Carr worked shortly before 9pm. He had slept soundly for several hours after spending time buying more clothes and picking up a rental car. Carr rarely slept in the afternoon, and he knew that this exception was his way of reacting to his experience that morning. It still disturbed him, and he decided he ought to plunge himself into activity and forget all about it. Specifically, he decided he needed a girl. Hello, and welcome to the show. This is of course for Christ's sake. And we are at chapter five of our uh, second excursion into the works of Michael Crichton. Uh, this book is Scratch One, uh, another of the novels he wrote under his uh, nefarious pseudonym John Large. <laughs> nefarious? My name is Hugh, don't criticize my word choices, and your name is... Hunter. Thank you.
1: And um, before we talk about the Scratch One, yeah, I believe we have
0: to introduce our other four co-hosts. Maybe they can introduce themselves. Hello Is that right? Uh well let let me let me uh cede the spotlight to uh, one of those hosts right now. You ready? Yeah, go for it. I will, uh, I will translate on behalf of my co-host, who is unable to speak our language. Hello, I am a hard pretzel that has been selected for this podcast for thematic reasons. Now I'll introduce my other co-host, my blood red port. Uh, what about your guys? Well, bro,
1: I'm happy you asked. I got a blood orange soda screwdriver. And... I got a bag of salt and vinegar potato chips.
0: All right, where was we last time in this book?
1: There is an evil French Algerian organization it wants to prevent Israel from getting some arms, and a guy got sent to. Uh, France to take care of it, but his plane got delayed or something, or he got caught off. And He got called off. And there's day. another guy. Um, his name is Roger Carr, who seems to be the main character of the book, who has uh, gotten flown in, or he's looking to buy a villa for his law form, firm, no, for the governor his law firm represents. Uh, And his plane got blown up, but he was getting off of it.
0: Or, and then he went to a hotel. Um, anything else? I mean, credit to our listeners if they stuck through that recap, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, let's let's plow on. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, asshole. <laughs> um,
1: also, uh, so, there's okay. a guy
0: named Gorman. Yeah, whatever. So the last, <laughs> yeah, the last, whatever. So the important piece of action that preceded this chapter was as follows: Roger Carr landed in Nice. Ah. Uh. The plane exploded after he had deplaned, and then he was essentially mistaken for Morgan by a number of these parties that are involved in this arms deal, mm. in some fashion. Right. That's it. That's enough. Yeah, I think so. And uh, we rejoin our hero Roger Carr, as he has just made the decision to plunge himself mm. into activity. He wants to, uh, you know, get some some puss, right? I mean I wouldn't put it that crudely, but yes. How would you how would you put it, Gil? You you prude. He's looking to uh wet his whistle.
1: That's that sounds cruder than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking to get a venereal disease, if I understand correctly. Yeah.
0: Alright. So, um bang. Goes the gun. A man falls. Scratch one. What happens to him?
1: Well, you—he's about to uh, go out to a nightclub or something when he gets a mysterious
0: phone call. Can I just say at this point mm. that maybe this is an opportunity for a minor segment of Crichton Havoc and Let's Slip? <laughs> oh yeah. So you want to be Car and I'll be the people calling. Um, it's up to you. Depends if how, how's your French accent? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
1: oh. <laughs> Most- Mr. Car. Perfect. Okay, what's your what's your car like? What's your car like? My car's fucking amazing. Well, let's hear it. My, my American is just getting better all the time. Okay, let's hear it then. Oh, I'll save it. No, 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 you have to do it, and then we can decide.
0: There's an audition. I have to audition.
1: Yeah, I just auditioned for you, now you have to audition for me.
0: Where's he from in America? I don't know. I can I be don't quite know. specific.
1: All right, fine. I don't think we have a... I mean, all we know is he went to Harvard, so why don't you just do a Crichton? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could just do your Crichton. Roger Claus, you were an amusing <laughs> bastard. No, I I I didn't hear him, Miss Cradden. Mm. Yeah, hey, let's hear it. Face it, Carr. You were an amusing bastard. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> face let me let me
1: go the even lower in my register. No, no, he's face kind of car. a loser. He's kind of a loser. You can't make him that cool. All right.
0: Face it, Carr. You are an amusing
1: bastard. Okay, hey, this no, I'll do is my grandpa
0: voice. <laughs> no. <laughs> face, <laughs> face it, car.
1: <laughs> this, this, is my, uh, this, is, this is my. This is this is my buy car would okay. Yeah. Faith it, car? You are an amusing bastard. <laughs> yeah, I do like that actually. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll do car then. All right, we'll go with that. Okay, you should do the narration. I guess probably I should, right? Yeah, I think it makes
0: sense for you to do it, but not in the car voice. No, 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 of course not. Let's do it. Cry to never
1: he shaved slowly examining himself in the mirror he didn't look bad just a scrape on his cheekbone where he'd fallen on the runway christ it was just his luck getting a booby-trapped plane the world is full of maniacs he thought cheerfully his face covered in lather, he tried to grin. faith it, Carr, you are an amusing bastard. The phone rang, and he went out to the bedroom to answer it. Roger Carr speaking. Mr. Carr? The voice had a heavy French accent, and there was a peculiar background noise, a whirring mechanical sound. Yes?
0: I would like to meet with you. Yes? Carr's voice was tentative. I believe I can be of great use to you. In what way? I can help you in your business. Car frowned.
1: What would you know about my business? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you okay? <laughs> there, there. I mean, my next line is a laugh, so it kind of worked. <laughs> uh,
1: there was a tense laugh from the voice at the other end. Well, obviously, it wasn't that tense, but
0: anyway, I'll try it. <laughs> I know all about your business, I'm afraid. I see. You have a villa to sell? <laughs>
1: exactly. Shall we meet? All right. What harm could there be? Who is this that I'm talking to? <laughs> Still another laugh. Everything seemed hilarious to this man. Carr didn't understand. Your room tomorrow at noon, okay? Of course. The fun went dead in his hand. Carr looked at it, feeling silly. We replaced it in the cradle, and it immediately began ringing once more. Hello? I don't know what
0: what accent is this guy supposed to be. American. This is Gorman, right? Yeah, it's Gorman. Is he American? Yeah. Okay. Go again, sorry. Hello? Christ almighty,
1: why didn't you register as Morgan? This is a new voice, which sounded greatly annoyed. Well, quite honestly, it never occurred to me. <laughs> Who was this idiot anyway?
0: I see. Little games. Diversions. No wonder I'm paying half my salary to a psychiatrist. I have to worry about people like you all the time. Now why haven't you called? I suppose you have a good answer for that, too. The voice sounded gloomy now.
1: Sorry about that, Carr said, smiling. (laughs) I just haven't had a chance.
0: You haven't had a chance? Sure, why not? You haven't had a chance. I understand that. I also understand that you've been recognized. If I were you, I'd get over here right away but I'm going out to dinner. Didn't you hear me? I said you've been recognized.
1: So what? The voice at the other end swore lavishly. Cunt.
0: What? (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I'll I'll just proceed and not swear lavishly. What do you think this is, Morgan? A vacation? You must be out of your mind. So what? Idiot. Get over here right away.
1: Growing bored with the game, Roger said... Here bye, he and hung up. Then he left the room. On his way out, he would check with the concierge and make sure he wasn't getting someone else's calls. That sort of thing happens so easily in these big hotels. And that's, that's all Crichton wrote. I must say, Hugh, my, my disenchantment with this book, uh, I think, can be found in this uh, segment here.
0: <laughs> yes, um, but I, I will say that if there is any redemption to be had in, not the book itself, uh, which will shortly prove to be irredeemable. But in the series of this podcast that focuses on this book, there's any redemption to be had for that, for our output, it is in your impression of Roger <laughs> Carr's voice. All right. Uh, so
1: should we talk about the part of that parts of this uh, <laughs> that I found to be annoying? Oh, this was the only bit I enjoyed of this chapter, I will say. I, I fucking hate it when people call... Talk to someone, okay, you ready? Hmm. Yeah. And they say something that the other person would be like, What are you talking about? I'm not whoever this is. But instead they just like go along with it, you know? Hmm. Like why on earth why on earth would Carr say when the guy asked him, Why didn't you register as Morgan? Why wouldn't he say, What do you mean by that? Instead
0: he goes instead he goes, Well it never occurred to me. What is what what is this? <laughs> No no, I, I I think I can justify what Crichton is doing here. I know it's obviously a contrivance because I mean the book the book would end if he was like, What are you talking about? I'm not the not he's I yes. know so he has to have, But I think it's a joy anyway. Obviously Crichton has to come up with some technique, some contrivance to maintain the ruse that will uh, power this story, which is that people think he's Morgan and he's not. And He's tried to do it by setting up his character as a bit of a, a bit of a cheeky lad, right? So we've we've already had the foreshadowing of this this scene uh, that you quoted at the start of our uh, Crichton havoc and let slip segment, which is Carr saying to himself in the mirror, "You're an amusing bastard, right? He's a bit of a jokester, a bit of a prankster." No, but he's not, he's not pranking anyone here. And, and no, no, no let's, let's get into his psychology here. No, I, don't, just, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> he's just gone through a life and death situation, you know. He's developed a morbid sense of humour. The plane he was on literally exploded moments after he exited. He's already had an interrogation with the police. He's finally gone to his hotel room. He's had a nap in the afternoon. He's woken up. He's having a, sh- he's having a shave and he's sort of grimly reflecting on what's happened. But through it all, he's managed to retain his sense of humour. The, the same cheekiness, perhaps. Yeah, he's, that, that, he's not uh, having a fucking. The governor recognised in him when recalling his own youth. He's not having a fucking which, it's laugh. It's the very reason. It's the very reason he's in Nice in the first place, right? He's 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 a bit he's a bit of a he's a bit of a you know. I disagree with this. He's an original prankster. No, he's not pranking the guy on the other end of the phone. So when he receives, he's not pranking them, but like when he receives this phone call out of the blue, um, it's clear that someone has, the, has got their wires crossed, right? Uh. But what does he care? He just escaped a life and death situation. He's got no time for niceties. Why not just have a little fun?
1: But he's not, he's, no, but he is being nice. He's not just saying the guy, telling the guy to fuck off. He's being like, okay, I guess I'll engage with this character.
0: That's not being nice. Yeah, it he's is. He's like, he's deliberately prolonging the guy's mistake. Eh, I don't think so. I don't think so. He's not being nice. If he was being nice, he'd say, "I'm sorry. You've clearly got the wrong number."
1: I, I disagree. I I don't read it as him being like, "Oh, I'm gonna make this guy uh make him look like a fool by making this mistake on as long as possible." No, no,
0: no. I don't. Again, I don't think it's like I'll make him look like a fool. But it's not. It's not doing anything out of. Charity or nicety, right?
1: No, but not not nicety, but as like a uh, going on with the social norms of the conversation.
0: No, I think he's amusing himself. No, I, think I, don't, I, don't, think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. He's amusing himself, and he's amusing me, the reader. <laughs> well, he's doing neither, so sorry. <laughs> so I, I actually bought that. I was fine with it for a certain type of character. Like I could imagine doing that myself. <laughs> yeah, because you're an annoying person. Yeah, so the, they, people like me and him exist. I mean, I don't want to identify myself too strongly with no, uh, Roger Carr. No, I, I just, disagree just with this.
1: Because because you, you clearly have a self-awareness about wasting other people's time.
0: Yeah, I think he has a self-awareness in this scene. I don't think really.
1: so. I don't think so. I don't think so.
0: Why would he Why would he pretend to go along just, with the conversation if he wasn't self-aware? Because he's a moron. He's not a moron. <laughs> he is. He's many things. He's not a moron Yeah, <laughs> He's definitely a moron. He's not a moron. He is. I would fucking defend Mr. Carr. (laughs) No, he's a piece of shit and he's a moron. Just like you. He's just being, he's just kind of being a dick, right? That's what he's doing. No way. For one thing, the guy on the other end of the phone has snapped at him. Okay, okay, okay. Obviously, they've got the wrong person. He's retaliating. Let's move on. Bye. Uh, Alright,
1: so what's the next section
0: here? The one that has seemed to have turned you off. I mean, this chapter is turn offs of plenty. Mm. So after that delightful, uh, mildly farcical exchange, (laughs) which we we enacted for our fans, um, we proceed to a little section featuring uh, Lissau in an operating room. Mm. Lissau is is the head of the evil organization, but he's also an actual practicing doctor and surgeon. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as I could tell, the whole point of... Most of this sequence, if not all of it, I can't remember what happens at the end, but we'll get there shortly. Is Crichton once again flexing the fact that he went to medical school? Mm, Yeah, definitely.
1: There's a lot of uh, medical jargon that's used here, which uh, I feel like you could have done this segment in like, uh, you know, a couple of paragraphs, but it's just stretched out uh, ad
0: infinitum. It's entirely redundant. Yes. It's literally just cutting to LaSalle in surgery and describing in tedious detail exactly the uh, operation that he's performing. And that's it. We already knew he was a doctor and a surgeon. Mm. <laughs> I don't see the point of this section at all, because then we just cut straight back to car.
1: I don't understand it either. And they already talked about like his sadism. You don't need to demonstrate it by having this pointless sequence where he's like, dissecting someone. Yeah,
0: and he's not being sadistic here. He's just being a doctor.
1: Yeah, Exactly. So uh, anyway, so we cut from that. We cut from that back to back to our good buddy, Roger Carr. Am I right? hmm. And he he has a disappointing overpriced dinner. And then he he tries to go to the casino because he wants to get some puss, as we talked about earlier. But there's no one there but two middle aged Midwestern couples. Bleah. So then he hops into a taxi cab and asks to be taken to a nightclub and gets shuffled along to the choo choo club. What sort of establishment is the choo choo club would you describe it as what is it like a billiards place are there is it a social club is it a bar with like a you know a hipster stage on it?
0: Well, the nightclub is located in the red light district mm. and uh they have strip shows there are the
1: is the stripper who is on stage at the beginning attractive
0: woman or I mean, you're jumping ahead. He's already described three women dismissively leading up to the description of the first stripper. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember that. So. Well, you mentioned the fact that uh, he saw uh, a couple of Midwestern couples mm. in, a, in a gambling parlor. Mm. He described the women uh, as wearing frumpy black dresses, which were cut too low for their sagging bosoms. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the honour they're afforded. And then uh, before Roger Carr enters the choo-choo club proper, he has to check his clothes with the hat-check girl, who is described as a sour-faced bitch with deep circles under her eyes. That's true. So we just want to set the table for what's to come. What's next? Actually, even before he describes the stripper, there is um, something new that is introduced, uh, another feather in Michael Crichton's cap. That uh, was previously not on display. I mean, kind of implicitly on display, I guess, in odds on. But here is, it is explicitly on display. And that is what? Homophobia. So Carr sits down. He, su- he, he looks around his su- surrounding. He surveys the place. And he notices, and I quote, A few blonde effeminate men uh, who were occupying tables by themselves in the centre of the room. And they're giving Carr expectant looks. Hmm. Because they want to have sexual intercourse with them, presumably. That is the suggestion that uh, Mr. Crichton is making here, yes.
1: Well, but I'm sure I'm sure that's just a little slip up on Mr. Crichton's part. I'm sure it won't recur, you know, over and over again in this in this chapter.
0: No, I'm sure it won't either. I think we can we can forgive that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it was the sixties. On behalf of the gays. <laughs> People yeah, yeah. People, you know, were there's a less enlightened age, right? Yeah, we'll grant him that amnesty. So what happens with the stripper? Well, Hugh, uh, she's not a very good stripper, unfortunately.
0: Oh, that's a shame.
1: Though we don't really understand why. Or we only have a premonition of this fact uh, in the text right now. Mm-hmm. Before we get that, there's some important spy business to take care of, right? Mm. Because Carr gets a note from his, his good bud, uh, uh, Mr. Gorman. Uh, which is not especially notable, eh? eh? Yeah, eh? good one. But, except for the fact that he says Ray Cortex. I don't know what this means exactly, but it must be related to the
0: mysterious Cortex file that was mentioned in the last chapter. So this is a great bit of spycraft here. <laughs> <laughs> in putting the name of the secret file into a covert note that he's slipping to an operative. All right, so then
1: we jump from there back to some uh, a little more. Well, what's this? You? I thought I thought that he left homophobia behind. Oh boy! What do you mean? Tell me it isn't so. I I sure do. I sure uh, will tell you so. Because uh, um, <laughs> not only does the homophobia get more explicit, but uh, Mr. Crichton actually uses a certain uh, slur in this mm-hmm. uh, little paragraph, which I thought was highly offensive. It sort of soured me. Even more so on this book. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, these, the the so-called effeminate men won't stop looking at him. Oh, no. And one in particular, who I assumed was Bauer, is that the impression that you also got? It is Brow, yeah. Yep. Uh, was, is, you know, looking at him.
0: I don't know. So, I, I do think it's worth quoting at least the first sentence of that uh, paragraph. <laughs> it's up to you, man go for it it sounded funny to me I know I like I'm not endorsing what my
1: Grant is doing yeah it, but, but you're just laughing at it from a remove because you can because you're
0: a privileged motherfucker am I right I mean his choice of words is amusing I will say mm. I will say not the not the slur but the bit where <laughs> I'll just quote the sentence go for it play the theme song maybe he's men proud come on let's hear it right about At least six gay little blonde lads were peering intently in his direction. Yeah, oh, that's it. that's all I wanted to read. That's that's all I wanted to read in that section. Mm. I didn't want to proceed per se, but so I, I will say that it, it's this bit is baffling to me. Mm. So he's described the men earlier as effeminate. Then he's called them six little blond six. Uh, then he's called them six gay little blonde lads, right? Mm. And then Khan notices that one of the blonde guys was powerfully built and, to all appearances, extremely masculine and virile. So he's like, that doesn't fit with my idea of gay people, which is strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Have you ever seen a, a well-built gay person? A muscular gay person? Is, is, is that contrary to, <laughs> to the dominant state?
1: No, no, I, I thought they had to be, you know, effeminate. Though, no, yeah, there's a little bit of a contradiction in terms there.
0: Yeah, so, um, and then, and then Carr, but, I, I mean, let's just say this is Carr's perspective. He thinks mm. that all gay men are effeminate, and he's like, this doesn't make sense. This Brower guy, he doesn't look like he fits in with them. And then he reasons, oh, but he is ugly. Maybe that's, that's what it is. And like, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't understand what's, I don't, I don't understand the part that's tripping you up here, man. <laughs> All, all ugly, all, like, uh, as an ugly man, <laughs> I thought you would <laughs> understand this. <laughs> all right. So then the stripper comes up. She's old. She's fat. She's quivering. She's unsteady under spiky heels, not, not appealing to a young,
0: virile chap like uh, Roger Carr here. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, so we get more details about the stripper, and um, it looks like she's going to fall over. mm and then uh, Carr thinks to himself, "This is where you come in and actually say the line."
1: It was a, tri- it was a trip teeth. There you go.
0: <laughs> Funny guy. See, this it's, it's that resurfacing of the wit that he displayed in the earlier conversation. I have no idea why you why you you forced me to read that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, and then, oh, but but luck 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 be shining on our boy here, am I right? Yeah. because this ugly stripper is soon replaced by a young hottie, and you know, car is is drinking, watching this busty brown-haired babe take off her clothes, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, he's he's getting a little uh, worked up, I I would think, right? And luckily, who who should come sit next to him, but. A busty, brown-haired babe of his own. Am I right? Huh? Mm. <laughs> who, who is this character, Gil? Suzanne. Mm. Who is Suzanne? And what does she want? Uh, she wants to fuck him. Mm. Seemingly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And then uh, what does Carl want to do? Because he, he mentioned earlier that he wanted to, you know, get a little little plus, am I right? Uh, he wanted to plunge into something, yeah. So does, does he uh, immediately uh, try to, uh, you know, Put put his sick moves on to this woman, or or no?
0: Well, he starts to, but then he immediately rejects the idea. Mm. Why why is this? Okay, so Carl goes into chat up mode rather automatically, and then he feels like maybe he's not actually in the mood for this. He's had a long day. Yeah, yeah, of course. He's, he's developed a headache. Hmm. All he wants to do now, he realizes, is uh, maybe have a couple more drinks on his own and fall asleep. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can uh, understand that, uh, uh,
1: like, position, right? That desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so understandable. Uh, Suzanne uh, goes to the bathroom, and Kara uh, uses this uh, excuse to slip off into the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but not before I, I. This is the only part of the, the, this chapter that I really enjoyed, <laughs> uh, which is that um, the hot babe on stage gets replaced by another woman. Uh, this is my favorite, like Crichton prose of this entire chapter, maybe maybe the entire book. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, you want to quote? Yeah. Yep. This is it. This is it. it's. It's. It's one half sentence. Okay. Ready. Yeah. This is him this is him attempting to just you know, he goes into uh, exorbitant detail about the uh, attractive stripper, right? And here we go. He's
0: proud. Come on, let's hear right about now
1: The stripper had a nondescript body. <laughs> and I thought that was just supremely amusing. And, you know, I wasn't
0: quite sure what that uh, meant. You know, after fat shaming the first stripper, yeah. and then um, luxuriating in every detail of the second stripper, mm. now words words fail him. Yeah, <laughs> not because this woman's so attractive, but rather
1: because she's so bland as to be un- impossible to describe at all.
0: Yep. Then, then so car wanders off. He's not really paying attention, um, and he gets lost. And then he sees behind him one of the blonde men who were ogling him at the nightclub. One of those gay little blonde lads. Brower is following him. It's Brow, yes. It's the bulky, muscly one. It's the Brower-shaped one.
1: So he he hops in a car, thinking that he's made his escape, right?
0: They have a little chase first, but yeah. Yeah, but who cares? Well, I think the the thing to register—I mean, the thing to uh, emphasize
1: here—is
0: mm. that initially he's just trying to avoid the man because he's a homophobe, mm. and then he realizes, oh, maybe this is more dangerous than that, mm. and he runs and realizes the blonde man is chasing him, and he gets into a car, a taxi. Yep, that's that's we we got that. We didn't get the nuance of it, and Michael Crichton is a writer who is all about. The nuance, right? There's no nuance. So he gets in the cab, and he thinks he's gotten
1: away from all the spy stuff. You know, One, one yeah. fucking break of this, right? So he hops to the car, and is, is the cab just a normal dude, or what? what's up? Uh, yes, it's a normal dude, and he drives into his hotel. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. What? The, the guy turns out to be an agent of some sort. We're not entirely certain, right? Mm-hmm. But he's like, you should play the role that you're assigned. Why are you deviating from the chorus, you know? And Carr's like, what the hell is up with this?
0: And once again, he says, don't you understand that your cover is blown? Right. Mm. Which, which, you know, he was told on the phone as well. Mm. And see, if I were told this, I would be like, what the hell are you talking about? But Carr does not respond like that. Okay, yeah. I will say. <laughs> I will say.
1: That it lends credence to
0: my reading. This later section. No, no, no. No, no. I think my reading of the second telephone call at the start of this novel is valid. Mm. And I can, you know, rationalize that, but I would say at this at this point, Crichton does not come up with a way of sustaining that contrivance, because there'd be no reason for Khan not to explain himself at this point. Mm. So,
1: he gets out of the car, goes into the into the, into the hotel, and he's like, I'm going to drown my sorrows in a little bit of alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. And then he does, he gets three more drinks, four more drinks, downs them one after another. Mm-hmm. And then where does he find himself, Hugh? Uh, he goes back to his hotel room. Oh, yeah, but he's, and he just
0: goes to bed, right? Yeah, he just goes to bed, goes to sleep, wakes up next day.
1: Yep, and then that's the, that's the end of the book.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: oh, I, I wish.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, what? There's a naked lady in the bed. It's Suzanne from before. How could she possibly know where his hotel room was? He thought he ditched her. I don't know. What the fuck? And Hugh... He really doesn't. He really
1: doesn't want to fuck her, right?
0: No, actually, I forgot. She originally wasn't naked. She's just on the bed, and then yeah. she's she <laughs> she just Doesn't matter. <laughs> she's trying to seduce him into bed.
1: Yep. She keeps he on. He just wants it to take him. an aspirin. He just wants to take pop an aspirin, go to sleep, right? Hmm. And uh, so he goes into the bathroom, fills up a glass of water.
0: Well, actually, he's about to fill up a glass of water. He turns the tap on, mm. and then she lunges at him. And uh, they tumble into the bath together. Mm. He eventually wrestles himself free. The tap is Mm. still running, mind you. Water is being wasted. Then she uh, pushes him over into the bedroom. Yep. Um, He's trying to wrestle free and get back to the bathroom to take his aspirin. And it is at this point that she pulls a gun on him. Mm.
1: And uh, we get a a wonderful little uh, double montage, if you will, or just a single montage which I'll read right now. Ready? Yes, please. He stares stupidly, wondering where it must have come from. After all, she wasn't wearing anything. Christ, he thought, I must be drunk. Does it work? Bien He nodded. It figured she didn't look like a girl who would fool with a rod that didn't work. Now, uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, I get the penis, he, he the <laughs> erection joke here, but I, I can't really, uh, I have to say that a rod in this uh, circumstance doesn't really fit the uh gun, I don't think. That's not a word I would ever use to describe a gun, would you? <laughs> no,
0: but maybe it's uh, dated lingo. I don't know.
1: I don't, I don't think so. This struck me as uh, extremely strange. But hilarious.
0: Yep. And witty.
1: So um, the water's of the sink. He's like, ah, oh, she's pulled a gun on me. He goes into the bathroom again. He takes his, his pill, despite the fact that she's got a gun on him, I guess. But it doesn't matter and then uh so she does that then he when he emerges she is vanished but left behind her uh, various clothing yeah and then after that he puts his head on the pillow and drifts off into a hopefully dreamless sleep and that's the that's the end of our Roger Carr for this this chapter
0: yep that's the end of the chapter alright uh now I'm
1: gonna hit the pause button and export this so we can quickly talk about the next chapter